Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place and thank you for the soothing move of your Holy Spirit that calms us, that allows the Lord, us, Lord, to find peace even in the middle of challenging moments and difficulties that surround us. Lord, we lean upon you, our brothers and sisters that are getting sad news from family members and our congregation that's impacted, our community and our, our city and our world. Oftentimes, Lord, we can just become so challenged and so stressed by the uncertainty. But today on this Good Friday, we once again lean upon you as a source of our strength. That you give us balance once again. That you visit every home, every person, Lord, that is suffering and going through these moments of uncertainty. We particularly pray for those that have their loved ones far away, that they can't visit them nor see them because of this virus, Lord, making families be separated and dividing families. Uh, bring comfort and strength, Lord, as we always anticipate, pray, and, and, and expect the miraculous. Give us inner strength, Lord, to move forward and help us to watch out for one another. And when someone, we notice someone the Lord has dropped off the radar for a while or seems to be displaying signs of depression and sadness and grief that we might be able to walk with them, Lord. We are, we are not alone. You're with us. And there is an end, Lord, that we are anticipating and praying for as we paint the promising tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God is so good. In the middle of the storm that we're weathering, God is so good. In the middle of uncertainty, God is so good. And this is an incredibly powerful time of Lent that already finished, but also a Holy Week celebration unlike anything we've ha had before. Because when you think about suffering, which is really the hallmark of Holy Week, and particularly today, Good Friday, because today we remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a day where we become partners, if you will, and companions of uh, grief, sorrow, and loss. I think that so appropriately, it defines many of, of the journeys that you individually are going through right now. That in, uh, in the middle of uh, our world right now, we hear about loved ones and people that we know uh, going through incredible grief. And then once, when, sadly, when some family members go on into eternity, the living are left with such a, a heavy load of, of grief also. So it aligns us so much with the pain and sorrow, kind of, not, not totally, but it does align us with the pain and sorrow that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered. Our ability to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus one of the prerequisites of that is that we have to also be a companion with him as a, in his fellowship of suffering. Suffering is, what part, is, is the part that brings balance to our life and is part of the journey of life. And I, and I really don't know how someone that does not have a relationship with God, someone who has not strengthened their faith, can journey through these days and th these seasons. But we're grateful that the Lord, there's a, there's a throne inside of our heart, not, our, not our, the organ, but inside of our being, 
and the Lord sits there. And then we, we need to make that place comfortable for him to be there through our confession and our time that we come before him. This week you have heard the preaching of the sermon of the seven phrases that Jesus said from the cross. I, I kicked it off on, on Tuesday. And then uh, Pastor Enan Almanzar was able to help me uh, to preach some of the other words. And today I want to complete the seven phrases. This is a seven-point sermon. It started on Tuesday with the word of forgiveness, the very first word. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then after we unpacked that for a little while, I guided you toward the second phrase, which was the phrase of the word of salvation, where the Lord had a dialogue, a conversation with the criminal there at the cross that was crucified next to him. And in the dialogue, it ended with the Lord telling him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That was the word of salvation. And then um, we were able to hear yesterday two powerful words. And Pastor Enid guided us through that word of affection, which is from John 19, where at the end, the Lord joins his mother with the beloved disciple. And the word comes out as, woman, behold your son. And he took care of family matters as he knew that he needed to care, he needed to fulfill the mission for which he was sent to earth. And then we were taken to the fourth word that was preached. And that was, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have thou forsaken me? The word of anguish, which was so eloquently preached as well. And I hope you were able to um, learn from uh, that exposition of that word. My God, my God. Although Jesus knew that there was going to be a moment of separation between him and the Father, here he is in it, ready to go through it. And he exclaims that word of anguish, my God, my God. And then finally, yesterday we heard... Um, uh, the last word that Pasadena preached was on the, the word of suffering, where, the, where it showed us the humanity of the Lord, that even though he was God, he certainly wasn't God on the cross, he was man, but in his life of being God and being man and the duality of his, of his being, we find this fifth word was really speaking to that, when the Lord, as a result of the suffering and of his physiological reactions to the beatings and the bleeding that he had suffered and all of that, the wounds that were opened. And yesterday we had heard when even as his labored breathing, his back rubbing against that rugged cross with, with the splinters opening up his flesh even more, his body was reacting. So he ended up asking for, uh, for a drink. He was thirsty. He says, I thirst was the fifth word. Today I want to just guide you to the sixth word and the seventh word. The sixth word was that the word of victory. And it always fascinates me that here the Lord is hurting. He's um, depleted at a moment where probably you and I or most of us would not be able to withstand uh, the, 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 the condition that he was in. And I try to hesitate from being too graphic in the explanation and certainly from showing images because it is worse than what we can imagine. It was worse than what we can imagine. And Christ now finds himself really toward the tail end now of his time on the cross. Death is looming closer and closer. And in the middle of that apparent, apparent loss comes the word of victory. It looked like death. It looked like the end. It looked like defeat. <laughs> but yet in the middle of that, of what it looked like, comes the word of victory. Doesn't matter what it looks like. 
Amen. We can still have victory in the, in the middle of bad situations. And that word of victory is recorded by John, the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30, where he says, when he had received the drink, after he, verse, uh, the fifth word, he drank because he was thirsty. Uh, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And when we start to unpack that word a little bit closer than how it's rendered for us in the English, we will realize that it is not just finished in the sense of you completed the assignment. It is not just finished in the sense of uh, uh, it's the culmination or the end of a task that I was given to do. This is not writing a book and then at the end you put the end. That's, that's finished. Of course, the book is finished. And when we look at the phrase that is finished, we sometimes would think that that's what the Lord would say. The end is near. So it's over, the end, let's put a period at the end of the sentence. I've completed the task. Yes, it includes that. It certainly includes the, the assignment has reached its place of culmination. Jesus' task has been finished. But church, let me just show you for a moment that it goes a little bit further. In fact, not a little bit, a lot further than just the culmination of a task or completing an assignment. It goes further to mean the following, that the mission, listen to this further definition. It is finished means that the mission, the task, has been totally consumed and absorbed into the justice of God to such a degree that what is left cannot be identifiable. I need to say that again. The task or the assignment has been completed to such a degree that the, 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 the totality of the task, the totality of the assignment is totally consumed and absorbed into the justice of God and nothing is left that is identifiable. In other words, what it's telling us, nothing of the past remains. It cannot be reconstructed and put back together. We become experts in putting back things that God finished. We end up trying to put things back together and we stay living in the past. But in this, it is finished. It means there's nothing to put back together again. Let me give it to you in three words, three synonyms. When he said it is finished, he's saying it is consumed. When he says it is finished, he's saying that it's absorbed into the justice of God. When he's saying it is finished, he's saying it is incinerated, fried, over with, no longer existing. No remnants of it can be identified. It is finished. It is finished means that the earthly life of Jesus has expired. This was the end. He was about to pass on. And he was now being ushered into the second task of his assignment, which was to sit at the right hand of the majesty and make intercession for me and you. As you remember later on when he ascends to heaven, he ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is technically not with us here today. He is at the right hand of the Father, but the Holy Spirit is with us. So it is finished is, is pointing to that direction. That his task here is done, his earthly assignment is done, his life has expired, and now he goes on to the next phase, which is to be the intercessor for us, the advocate for us, the lawyer for us, before the majesty of God in the throne of glory. You know what it means, it is finished? It is finished means that there's no need to struggle any longer because Jesus has declared it is finished, it is consumed, it is absorbed, it is incinerated. You know what it is finished means? It means that we need not fear the attacks of the enemy because Jesus gave Satan the fatal blow by saying it is finished, it is consumed, it is incinerated, it is absorbed in the justice of God. 
when, when you think about sickness and the coronavirus, uh, all of that, uh, 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 Jesus gave sickness and the coronavirus its marching orders to get out of our bodies. When he pronounced, it is finished, it is absorbed, it is incinerated, it is consumed, it is gone. I think the Apostle Paul shows this so nicely to us when he's writing to the church in Corinth and he says the following, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is finished. It is consumed. It is absorbed. It is incinerated. There are no pieces left over that we can try and put back together. That's why when situations comes marching up against you, this word can be applied to your life today. And you can tell that trial, that tribulation, that sickness, that, that, that bad situation, that storm, that demonic influence, that moment of depression, whatever it is you're facing, you can tell it what Jesus said. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. The word of victory. Powerful, powerful word of victory. Then he goes understanding that his time was short and running out. And then the Lord drives us and takes us through his words through, to the seventh and final word. The word of contentment. The word of contentment. And here we find the rendering of, from Luke. It is finished, is rendered to us from John, and then now Luke is writing. And you have to remember, because in, in, in the writing of John, just a little quick uh, sidebar explanation, he talked that, he says, John says that when he said it is finished, he bowed his head and gave his spirit. And then now we find in Luke, Luke also saying that at that point he passed away. So the question needs to be, well, when did he really pass away? Remember that we have two writers inspired by the Holy Spirit, but watching a scenario unfold from dif different vantage points. So they're writing from that vantage point. It's not right or wrong. It is, it is when, you, when you combine the narrative and you make a harmony of the narrative, you'll find that it is on target. And so now Luke records the seventh phrase. Listen, let, let me read it for you. It's Luke uh, chapter 23, verses 44 through 46. The word of contentment. It is now about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. It is astounding to me that the seventh word includes the phrase, in a loud voice. I mean, we have to understand the magnitude of his suffering, his pain, the condition of his body, the weakness that had to overwhelm him, and yet he wanted to make sure that he finished everything and, and he ended his journey and his mission in a way that could not be looked at in any other way as victorious and as uh, pleasing unto God's, uh, the Father's plan. And it says that he gathered from inside himself strength to proclaim in the hearing of all that were there in a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But before I unpack that phrase, it's important to see the context, the verses before. Because for three hours, from 12 noon to 3 o'clock, nature was in an upheaval. 
In fact, it says that darkness filled the sky. The, the sun didn't know what to do, whether to shine or not shine. The sun couldn't cast its rays and light over the, the scenario that was there because Jesus, the true light, was there. And it caused confusion, if you will. It caused chaos in, in nature. It says that nature was, was reacting in the way that even humans were not reacting. I think it's always astounding, as I mentioned when we opened the sermon back in Tuesday, on Tuesday, that I had mentioned that the, the nature remembered that this is the one that said, let there be, in Genesis 1. They understood the creative uh, 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 characteristics of that uh, person that was hanging there on the cross. And for three hours, darkness came over the whole land from 12 to 3 in the afternoon. The sun didn't find itself worthy to shine its light upon the earth and upon that scene. It says that the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And this is critical because what we see here is really confirmation. The only way that you can have access to God and to God's justice and God's forgiveness the only way was to go through the Old Testament Levitical order where there needed to be a high priest that would go behind. The curtain or the veil was that that separated the people from the deity. And so the only one that can get to the other side to God and, 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 and let there be the shedding of the blood and the sacrifice of animals was a priest. The high priest would have to do that. Now, the veil of the temple, the curtain was rent open from top to bottom because Jesus, look at this, another duality, Jesus was not only the perfect sacrifice once and for all, he shed his blood, but he was also the perfect high priest. Unlike any other, it says even in Hebrews, he was just the high, high priest. And he came in now, and because of his priesthood, he was able through his sacrifice, his sacrifice, not the, blood, the shedding of the blood of animals, nor the slaughtering of animals, but his sacrifice, he was now able to cause the veil of the temple to be rent open. And now there is access directly to God's justice and God the Father, God the Creator. That's what Jesus did for us from that point forward. We entered into a new way of relating to God the Creator, unlike what we had seen in the Old Testament. But it also provides the following, and this is critical, that the veil of the temple was rent open and it was almost as God opening his hands and saying, let us be intimate. You know, it would be difficult uh, for this to be a reality today because of this social distancing stuff. But here, what it's saying so prophetically as the veil of the temple is being rent open, God the Father is saying, come to me so that I, you can have an intimate moment with me. Come to me so that you can have a divine hug with me. The door, the passageway was opened for intimacy with God. You and I, even in this day, God doesn't stay six feet away from you. We can be drawn into intimacy with him because of this moment of contentment. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This phrase tells us, church, that, that Jesus was in control of his life until his last breath. Until his last breath. The physical, physical body expires. However, your spirit lives forever. There's a part of you inside that will live forever. Jesus is now placing his spirit into the hands of, his, of the Father. He was giving back because he was in control till the very end. And he knew, that, he, he knew that his spirit would find rest in the hands of the Father. And you need to realize, you, all of us, myself included, 
that there's a part of us that will live forever. Where we will live forever depends on the decisions you make with regard to Jesus Christ. Is he your savior or he's just a historical figure in your life? Contentment is, is, is that that redemptive assignment is complete and justice has been satisfied. And Jesus dismisses earthly life to embrace his spiritual and divine existence. That's a powerful thing, church, when we look at it. It's an amazing thing that Jesus was in control to the end. He placed his spirit in the hands of the Father just before he died. He was content in having satisfied the plan of rescue, of redemption, that was before the foundation of the earth. And so his spirit, Jesus' spirit, goes to the Father. His body, Jesus' body, remains hanging, lifeless, on the cross. The sun would not shine. Nature was reacting. Silence filled the space. Jesus died. Now what? I think it is impossible to preach the seven words of Good Friday without filling in the blanks of that question. Now what? A dead body hanging on the cross. The sun hiding. Darkness filling the sky. I believe the following, because I want to close with this last observation, and I believe the following, that in his death, his death was eternal. It was not the dying of another man. It was eternal. The book of Revelations, chapter 13, verse 8, says the following, All inhabitants of the earth will rejoice, will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. His sacrifice, his death, was eternal planned, viable before the foundation, the creation of the world. His death was also voluntary. John 10, 18. Jesus declares the following according to John. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Listen to this. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from the Father. So his death was also voluntary. But church, this is a powerful aspect of his death. His death was also supernatural. Supernatural. Not a natural death. The circumstances leading to his demise were certainly cruel and horrible, but his death in itself was supernatural. Look at Matthew, the way Matthew tells us in chapter 27. He says, at the bottom, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom at the moment that he, that he died. The earth shook, rocks split, tombs opened up. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Four things happened after Jesus died. The curtain of the temple was rent open from top to bottom. The earth shook. There was an earthquake in that time. The rock split open and the tombs opened up. This is on top of the sun not wanting to shine any longer. 
That's what happened when Jesus died. And, and I can't help, for me, for me, my own personal journey, for a moment I step aside that I'm the pastor, but for my personal journey, I always go back that if, if a dead Jesus was able to accomplish all of that, imagine what happens if I let Jesus, the living Jesus, live inside of my life. If the dead Jesus could cause the sun not to want to shine anymore, and cause the veil of the temple to rent open, ushering us into a new dispensation with God. If, the, if an earthquake happens when he dies, if the rocks split open, if dead people come alive, imagine what Jesus, alive in my heart and yours, can accomplish in our journey. Powerful stuff. That is powerful, not a regular death. And then his death finally was also salvific. I want to return what I said to what I said on Tuesday about the centurion that was there. Now Jesus is dead. The centurion was watching this unfold, was a witness to all these seven phrases. And in the end, Luke records that the centurion said the following, Luke 23. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. So Jesus in death was salvific. His death was salvific. This was the very first person on the line of those being saved all the way down to you and I today. This centurion who witnessed and was on the fence, did not know, when he witnessed the life of Jesus unfolding and ending before him, he had to declare, surely this was a righteous man. And Jesus is left there hanging on the cross on this Good Friday as you and I need to take a moment and reflect on that sacrifice, on those moments when he died. Father, I come before you in the name of Christ to thank you for loving us so that you sent Jesus who paid the price for our redemption. And through him, not only are we offered salvation, but healing, eternal rest. That is all found in you. I pray, dear God, that we might be able this Good Friday to think through once again not only the life and ministry of Jesus, but this last week where the love of God the Father not only became tangible, but that love is what fueled the redemption of humanity. I thank you, Lord, as I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.